Welcome to the Authentic Wife Show. I'm Beth Rolls, a conscious marriage coach and author of The Authentic Wife, Uncaging Yourself Through Marriage. I help driven moms who love their kids more than they hate their marriage use the conflict in their relationship to become their most authentic selves so they can create a relationship and life they don't want to escape from. Stop waiting for your husband to evolve and start making every day feel like a vacation. You can find my book, tons of free resources, and Happily Ever After, the only marriage-saving coaching program on my website, theauthenticwifeandmom.com. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get started. It is good to be back. So I have spent the last month working on the capstone for my MBA degree, and it was very intense and I worked very hard on it. And as a result, I had to kind of set my business aside for a minute to get it done. Um, and I'm fortunate that I have put in place Dana Malstaff's of Boss Mom's fame, her evergreen program that she teaches in her Nurture to Convert offer. And so the business still kind of ran on its own without me, but some things I just could not do, which was weekly production of my podcast and the Facebook live videos that I do in my Facebook group. So I'll put a link to her program in the show notes, but I am thrilled to be done with that degree. I now have an MBA. As far as I know, I am the first person in my family and who I have descended from to get a graduate degree. And I didn't even think of that until just now when I was getting ready to record this. So that's kind of exciting. I'm pretty sure, unless they're way back, I'm pretty sure I'm the first one. So very cool. For somebody who missed out on the traditional path, did some college when I was done with high school, but ended up being more concerned with starting a family than with going to school and then ended up also in a career that I was able to progress in and do really well in without a degree. It's been, it's been nice to go back. And I definitely used to think at times, you know, that a degree was mostly a piece of paper and that it didn't really prove anything about my worth. And I still don't tie my worth to it. But I definitely learned a lot throughout this degree and the one I did before it. I have been in school for the past four years, actually. I learned a lot and I am very thankful that I decided to go down that path and get some extra knowledge, especially in business. When I was looking at all the possible degrees I could do, you might think that I would choose like psychology or marriage and family therapy or something. But when I thought about my bigger vision, it's really huge. <laughs> I only want to change the world. <laughs> That's it. Just a small goal, just a tiny goal to change the world. And when I really thought about that, I decided that number one, my first degree is in business, but in marketing management, I decided that the first thing I needed to do was be able to sell anything to anybody like saving their marriage. <laughs> and then when I decided to go for the MBA, I realized that the vision was more about having the ability to have a business that supported this passion and this goal. And that I technically didn't even really need, I'm sure I 
like to have the knowledge from a psychology or therapy degree, but I didn't really need somebody else's theories. And I didn't need somebody to tell me a lot of things that I've already know, because I'm actually disrupting and innovating here. If you work with me, you know that what I teach you, what we go through is probably not what you'd hear in therapy. It's probably not what you would hear in psychology. It's, it's something different and I'm really proud of it. And so I did knew that I definitely didn't need to get a license, that I didn't want to be bound by the restrictions that come with having a license like that. I wanted to be able to do the powerful work that I do, obviously, ethically, but without any restrictions on it. I don't like it when institutions make things worse. And when we tolerate suffering just because of the sake of the institution, I think it's important to be innovative and disruptors and to always go with what's conscious. So long story to tell you that I'm very happy with this business degree and I'm looking forward to continuing to use it to help me make my passion come to life, make my goal become a reality. And I'm glad it's over because it gives me so much time back to do this. I have been working slowly <laughs> behind the scenes on a boundaries book. And so now I've got all that's going to happen. Like now that I have the best thing is that before it was like, oh, I could read this book or that book, but you should be reading school books or, oh, I could work on writing this book or doing this project. And it was, oh, you should be getting your classes done. So now I don't have like that ability to guilt trip myself and, and have these competing priorities. School is just done. So I'm so excited to get the boundaries book done and out. And I'm thinking about doing class with that. And I just can't wait. I'm very happy to have this energy and time back to devote to my passion fully. So thank you, WGU for your degree. Can't wait to walk for it this fall. All right. So today's topic, enough about me. Today's topic is actually about dealing with your husband's drama. I have talked to enough clients to know that everybody's husband is absolutely 100% a drama king. I'm convinced that there are not people alive who are not a drama king or queen at some point in their life because it's just the nature of being human, especially the way that we're raised and especially the fact that most of us are just inner children walking around in adult bodies. And so we have the same drama as a toddler or a teenager or somebody who doesn't have a bunch of self-awareness and the ability to regulate their emotions. So what is drama? Let's identify what drama is. How do you know when you're being dramatic? You are being dramatic when you think that you are the villain, the victim, or the hero, or you think that somebody else is being the villain the victim, or the hero. That is your measuring stick. If you wonder if you are caught up in the drama, ask yourself, am I feeling like I am the villain, the victim, or the hero here? The sneakiest one is hero. I still get caught up in this one sometimes because I think I have all the answers <laughs> because I love to problem solve it's very easy for me to be like the hero and come in and want to save the day. Another way the hero presents is somebody who shows up when you're 
you know, in the hospital or something and thinks that they're really helping out. Um, the hero is somebody who listens to somebody's story and immediately, not immediately, but their initial response is to want to fix it. Hero is sneaky. And we think that we're, we are immune to the drama, but I find that the hero still shows up all the time. So that is the sneakiest one. Victim and villain are obvious. So obvious. So many complaints are because, you know, I'll hear the husband say a story and he feels very much the victim in the story. And while he's talking just from his energy and the way he blames others and the way he acts, immediately the wife starts to feel like a victim and he's the villain. <laughs> so she's in her own drama in her head. He's in his drama and the world goes round and round and round and nobody makes any sense of anything because everybody's feelings are getting hurt or they're offended or nothing gets resolved because nobody's pain is actually felt and healed, right? So the first question is, are you on the drama triangle? Now, the easiest way to understand drama is to know that somebody who is doing the drama thing has some fear or some pain that is driving the behavior. There's some fear of pain or there's some existing pain. There's some worry. There is some hurt that's underneath it. And we can get caught up in the understanding what happened and the problem solving. And well, you shouldn't feel this way. That's the easy one, right? Um, and then that derails the conversation because all that person is asking to do all, they're not asking for it, but they are. What they're doing is asking for it is they are asking for their fear or their pain to be taken away. They're seeking healing, but that seeking of the healing comes across in a way that is not conducive to healing if the other person also is in fear or pain. So what happens is if you get triggered because you are reminded of your own fear or pain, or you make up a story to match the fear that you're feeling, then you become the one who's also trying to get your fear or pain healed. I watched this yesterday with my kids. They were having an interesting evening after they got off the bus and one was downstairs and one was upstairs and I was in the middle on the landing on the stairs and they were going back and forth. Well, you did this. And then the other one would say, but you did this. Well, you did this, but I, you did this. Well, this happened. Well, this happened. And like, they kept bouncing their pain off each other. And so I was really grateful to be in the middle because I'm a, an impartial observer, right? And I can stay conscious and in a regulated energy. So I was able to reflect for both of them, what they were feeling and what they were experiencing. And also, because my daughter was right next to me, I could also tell her to stop and to not take it personally and to not engage at times. Because sometimes he just wanted to be heard and sometimes she just wanted to be heard. And so when she wasn't in pain, it was more of a practice of let's figure out what brother needs here. Let's help him heal. 
this is empathy, but she would get hooked and then go into something. And then all of a sudden her pain would build and grow. She was feeling misunderstood. She was feeling some guilt and shame for what she did in the situation, even though she shouldn't have, because it was like a series of events. They were co-creators of this experience. And so, so I've got some tips for you based on that, but I want to tell you first, this, I, I'm realizing that this is a very big thing that I have to correct for people. There is no emotional labor involved in empathy. Emotional labor, well, maybe slightly, but not the way you think. Emotional labor is managing your emotions and other people's to solve a problem. Empathy is not managing other people's emotions. You do have to be regulated on your own, but that's just part of life. If you're triggered, it's your responsibility to go figure out what it is, heal from it, use the wisdom that I talk about all the time, figure out what's there for you. That's just part of life, right? If you get triggered, you have stuff to heal. Just because the person in front of you is triggering doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person. It means that they are the person here to remind you of the stuff that you have to heal. But empathy is not managing another person's emotions. The other thing that empathy is not is it's not sharing their emotions. You do not have to share their emotions to be empathetic. That is actually empathy without boundaries. That means that you take on what they're feeling as their own. And that is not empathy. So I have something called physical empathy, which means <laughs> when I say I have something, it sounds like I have disease or something. It's one of my gifts, <laughs> or maybe not a gift, is that I can feel in my body what other people are feeling. This is probably from trauma that I experienced as a child from needing to have that ability to then change my behavior in order to be safe and get my needs met. But anyway, I have it. I can pick up what other people are feeling. And for a long time, it felt like it was what I was feeling. And now I understand I'm just sensing what they're feeling. I'm just picking up what they're feeling. And now it's helpful in the work that I do. So maybe you have that, but you should not actually be sharing their feeling. You shouldn't, maybe you, maybe they're sad and maybe you're moved to tears too, but that doesn't mean that you have to take it on or that you take on the responsibility of it or that you have the pain of it. It just means that you are aware of what they're feeling. Empathy is two things. It is perspective taking and energy gauging. Perspective taking means that you become aware of what they're thinking and energy gauging means that you sense what they are feeling. And then the power of empathy 
is understanding that, seeing it and reflecting it back for them. Reflecting it back for them means that you then make them aware of what you are aware of. And because you're regulated and that impartial observer, you may even see more things that they are, that they're experiencing, than they can see. You connect the dots between the things that they say to more fully understand them. Like maybe they talk about having friends and hanging out together and developing those strong friendships and being able to count on people. And you connect all those dots and go, wow, you seem like a really loyal person. Or maybe they're talking about like saving fam, saving animals or being concerned about the welfare of children or what's happening to the climate with the climate or being worried about somebody who's going through a hard time. And you can connect those dots and go, wow, it seems like you have a really big heart. You can see some of these efforts. Maybe they're working really hard at school and business and And you connect all those dots and go, wow, you're really driven or nuts, (laughs) whatever it is. You are showing them who they are and helping them process their experience, but you are helping them by showing them who they are. So you aren't actually like leading them through it. You aren't healing it for them. You are simply being a way that they see themselves. Do you know when you do those like self-assessment tests online? I had it for my final paper that I submitted yesterday. The last piece of the capstone was to do a career goal, which was kind of funny for me, but I ended up, I, I just randomly decided to give in this paper, all the results of every self self-assessment I have ever done <laughs> I did the VAL score, the VIA character strengths, my personal values, Enneagram, MBTI, Project Evo has two different exams there. I took a leadership, it's called the ethical lens inventory to see what kind of ethics I have. I'm forgetting some, my Holland code, my disc tests. I literally, I did all of them and I put them all there. Because I wanted to see the patterns. I was like, who am I? What am I good at? What am I naturally gifted at? What comes up here? And there were clear themes about who I am. Clear themes. Like, oh yeah, that's me. That that kind of self-awareness that we can only get from relationships or from online assessments is very powerful. People need to know who they are. It is my opinion that we actually express genuine love through empathy by showing people who they are, creating a safe place for them to process the emotions that they're experiencing. So I actually was getting ready for this podcast and I was talking to chat GPT and I was like, can you, can you have empathy for somebody? And it's like, well, no, cause I'm not a sentient being. I don't have emotions and stuff. And then I said, what is empathy? And we were talking about empathy back and forth. And it's like being able to understand other people's perspectives and emotions. Well, how do you 
if I, and then I asked him like, what if I say that I'm angry or something? How would you respond? He's like, well, I'd respond based on my data, what I know about that emotion. And so the point was that technically AI could be an empathetic vessel because it could reflect what it hears, summarize, use emotional intelligence based on the knowledge of what emotions are and what they mean, and, and you know, give some output, give some reflection, give a summary, help a person see who they are. Even if all AI did was just repeat back what was said, that gives the person the ability to process what's happening with them. So empathy does not require emotional labor. If it feels painful or exhausting to you, it's because you are actually not really giving empathy or you're taking it on as your own, or you are triggered in the moment and you are not healing from the stuff that's being triggered for you. So I want to give you a tip. I'm just looking at my notes. I want to give you a tip to help you when your husband's in the drama and you want to be empathetic. If his drama is about you, I want you to pretend that he's talking about somebody else. Maybe that sounds hard for you, but I literally want you to think in your mind, he is telling me about somebody else. I w- because I don't want you to take anything of what he's saying personally, because technically it is not about you. So imagine that he is talking to you about somebody else. And then from that space, you can be curious and identify, do that perspective taking and energy gauging and reflecting it back for him, helping him see his experience, seeing the things that he's not seeing. It's not fixing it for him. It's not taking away the pain. It's not managing his emotions. It's simply being like the mirror for him. I have another tip for you because this will help you. So the first tip was pretend that he's talking about somebody else. The second tip is to imagine in your mind that whatever he is telling you is 100% true, that it is fact that it is real because in his head, it is absolutely real. Whenever you want to change somebody's opinion, the first step, like say they like a politician that you don't like and they feel very strongly about it. You're never going to change their opinion to like the same politician that you do until, and even then you might not, until you acknowledge what they feel and believe as fact, because that is for them. In fact, that's why we end up taking things personally is because somebody says something that is in conflict with what we've experienced, what we believe and what we value. And so if you acknowledge what is their truth, you almost have to like buy into the story or, or imagine that you are 
you know, reading a book or something, and that this is a hundred percent true for them. You can acknowledge and validate how they're feeling first. And then you can move into other things. In my program, Happily Ever After, in month six, we talk about shaping their thinking. That's when you then begin to shape their thinking and get them to consider other things. But they are going to hold on very tight if you come up and attack whatever their perspective is, whatever they believe, whatever they value. They will, ooh, especially somebody who has done no work. Now, I've been at this for a long time and done this consciousness work, and I work very hard to not be attached to things that I believe, opinions that I have, because I know that they could change anytime. If I get more information, I might think something completely different. If somebody talks to me tomorrow and says something wildly different about empathy, I would consider it as fact. And then I would see if it was possible to poke holes in it. I'd be looking for supporting evidence on both sides. I'd be using critical thinking, but critical thinking is an energy intensive skill. And so it's, if you can be gifted at walking through somebody thinking critically, then you're going to have a better time getting them to, you know, problem solving together, getting them to change their mind, that kind of thing. But the very first part of it is accepting that what they're telling you is real and not trying to change it, not saying it's wrong and also not taking it personally. Just because it's real for them doesn't mean that it's real for you. You don't have to do anything with it. I can say that the best thing for a child is to be with both of its parents and a family. And I have research to back that up. But if your deeply held opinion is that the best thing for a child is just to, I don't know, to live with monkeys that's your opinion. And you can hold that and acknowledge, well, this Beth girl, she holds this other opinion about kids need to be with both their parents and their family. And I hold this opinion that kids need to be with monkeys. That's fine. Both those opinions can exist. We don't have to take anything personally. So this will help you not get caught up in his drama and be more empathetic. Catch yourself when you get on the drama triangle See when he's on the drama triangle and then work on understanding his perspective, sensing what his energy is. What are the words that they use when they're describing something? Do they say that they're annoyed, frustrated, and mad? Okay, well, those are words that belong to anger. Anger tells us that a boundary has been violated. So how are they feeling like their boundaries are that they are being unprotected? What do they need to protect? See, when you have this emotional intelligence, when you understand the, the language we use to describe energy and what each different energy means, empathy becomes very, very easy because you can reflect for them, oh, well, you're feeling angry. Well, that's a boundary thing. And you can then ask questions to help them understand what is it that feels like, why are they feeling depleted? Are they violating their own boundaries? Is somebody trying to violate theirs? Are they feeling used at work? What is it? Emotional intelligence is literally a, you know, knowledge that you can learn just like 
learning the primary color families and the secondary colors and like all the variations of purple. It's the same thing. You understand the quality of that energy and what it means. And then you can help somebody understand it. If you can pick it up and sense it like I can, then it's much easier because you don't even have to listen for the language. You can just sense in your body what it is that you feel. And then as far as understanding their perspective, you're just listening for what they say, trying to understand what they're worried about. What is the fear underneath the surface? My husband was just talking to me right before I did this. He had something going on at work and he was kind of ranting about it a little bit. And I listened for a while and I was like, so, so are you worried about this happening? And he thought for a while, he's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe he's just trying to do this. Yeah. I mean, it's not that hard. The art of empathy is knowing when to be quiet, when to just let what they've just said sit for a minute. And then it's knowing when to reflect, when to mirror what they've just said, when to summarize what they've said. And then it's knowing, first of all, what emotion you're going to label that they're feeling, and then when to share that. And whether you share the actual emotion or whether you share what the emotion means. So I might say, you seem angry. Or I might say, it seems like you're feeling kind of depleted. I sense which, you know, when it's important to say one or the other. And if they know that they feel angry, do they even know what that means? So if I know that they don't really know what anger means, I might go right to that bigger definition of what it means and work with them from that angle. So if anything, empathy requires some emotional intelligence so that you know what emotions are and the ability to listen. And then of course, your own self-regulation so that if you do get triggered, you know how to go explore that trigger. But the hijack around that is just to imagine if they are complaining about you, to imagine that they are talking about somebody else entirely. Like, man, this girl, this wife person, whew, she sounds awful. <laughs> she's so mean and unfeeling and won't touch your wee-wee. <laughs> whew, she's, dang, she's crazy. You accept it as the truth because it feels like the truth to them. But you don't take it personally because it is not about you. In fact, most of the time when they say something about you, they're actually talking about themselves. If they say you don't care, they might as well be saying, I don't care, especially for themselves usually, but then they're not caring for others either. If they say you are a terrible mother, they're saying I am a terrible father. If they say you only think about yourself, they're saying I only think about myself. If they say, you're just so lazy, you never take responsibility. And they might as well be saying, I'm so lazy. I never take responsibility. <laughs> think about the things that you complain about your husband about, because you can turn those around on you every single time. So know that they're frustrated with something in their lives. That's not about you. There's fear or pain to be felt. And that's it. Okay. I talk about 
these things all the time. So if you're new to the show, welcome. I can't wait to get that boundaries book out for you. Make sure that you are on my mailing list because I do have a good deal that you won't want to miss coming up soon. If you are on Facebook, join our Facebook group, Soul Sages. Follow me all the places if you'd like. And as always, if you'd like to work together, you can go check out my website, theauthenticwifeandmom.com and click on the work with me link and learn about happily ever after and coaching that way. It's good to be back. Thank you for holding space for me while I finished up my degree and I will talk to you next time. Have a great day. Bye.